Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Welcome to day 27 of 40 Days of Prayer, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This weekend, we're going to look at another encounter in Scripture. This weekend, it's the disciples' encounter. The disciples' encounter who? A lot going on today. The disciples' encounter uh, Jesus' followers. They encounter a storm, a sleeping Jesus, a powerful Jesus. They encounter uh, a man, an impure spirit, many demons. They encounter some pigs. A lot going on today. Before we get into it, I want to thank you for praying. Our world needs it right now. We need to be praying uh, every day. That's exactly what we're doing. Uh, We need to be praying for one another. Uh, So uh, put in your prayer requests. Pray for your small group. Be praying in your small group. Remind you of the prayer wall in between the buildings. If you want to just uh, cast a care on Christ there, put in initials of somebody or put an issue you guys are uh, facing in your family or in your life and uh, cast it on Christ and, and then uh, we'll be reminded to pray for one another. Uh, thank you for supporting one another. Dream Team, hope you can uh, find time between 5 and 9 this Friday uh, to do a drive-through. It's going uh, to be fun. Uh, so just if, if you serve on the Dream Team in any capacity, load up your family and uh, we want to we celebrate you and encourage encourage you uh, this Friday with the drive-through. It really is going to be interesting and fun. Uh, we're, okay, let's walk through this great story today, a biblical account in Scripture. We're going to do a lot of things at once. So those of you who like straight lines and one theme and one topic, don't get nauseated today, okay? Uh, we're just going to go with the text, and uh, there's just a lot there We're not even going to be able to get to everything there, but we will take some of the rabbit trails and address some of the stuff. Last week, we looked at a blind man's encounter with Jesus towards the end of Jesus' ministry. It was about a week before he died on the cross. And this week, we're going to back up a little bit to about the midway point of, of Jesus' public ministry. So Jesus lived for about 30 years before he began his ministry before he began ministering to people and uh, telling people who he was and everything else. Um, We don't know much about his early life. Uh, We know he was a a carpenter, and as much as we can tell, he led a pretty quiet life. Now he's gathered his disciples. He's begun doing miracles. He's taking them on a ride. Um, They've seen some amazing things. So far, they've been reaching people, feeding people, serving people, creating quite a following and a gathering. They've heard amazing teaching. And there's this moment where uh, he decides to go to a new place, and he says, we're going to take this to a, a new place. And in Mark 4, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over, say this with me, to the other side. Say it again, to the other side. All right? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, a storm, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And so they're in great danger here. You know, the disciples, they did not always know where they were headed. 
Uh, but so far up to this point, you read through the accounts and the encounters, so far up to this point, they were able to trust him. Meaning the disciples hadn't been in a spot where they'd really been tested yet. They wouldn't get to the end of the day and say, oh my goodness, what are we doing with our life here? Or questioning their decision to follow him. They'd get to the end of the day and say, wow, we've never seen anything like that. Wow, we've never heard anything like this. But Jesus is always turning up the heat. And, and he, it, it, he initiates this idea of where they're going. They load up the boat just like they'd done before. Jesus gets in the boat, but then the storm comes. And how many of you know from life that a trip can start out smooth sailing and a storm can come up? In life, storms happen. Can I get a better amen, somebody? If you ever set yourself up for a storm-free life, uh-oh. Like, you're setting yourself up for a letdown. So let's just remember this. In fact, let's write, write it down. Storms are going to happen. Don't make no mistake about it, okay? They're part of life. They're part of family. Uh, they're part of being committed. They're part of your health. We live in a broken world with broken bodies. They're part of being a believer, certainly. They're part of following Jesus. They're part of deciding to do something you've never done. If you make a commitment to pray, if you make a commitment to give, you make a commitment to serve, you make a commitment to love unlovely people, hard to love people, on that journey, storms are going to happen. Don't be surprised by it. And Jesus, he even led them into this direction. He knew a storm was coming. And they set out to see. A man by the name of F.R. Maltby first said, Jesus promised his disciples three things. I love it every time I see it. To be assuredly happy, to be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. <laughs> and you don't expect it to come out that way. But would you say you qualify? That's where you are today? What does this scripture teach us? It teaches us storms are going to happen. Just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean you're immune from the storm. And storms scream to us, stop. They scream to us, stop. We, to stop our growth, to stop our journey, to stop our faith, to stop our progress. They want to stop our giving. They want to stop our serving. They want to stop us moving forward. They, they try to get us to stop. What was Jesus doing in this storm? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now, come on now. If you're one who falls asleep while your spouse is talking, this is your verse right here. If you fall asleep while your teacher's talking, you're just, I'm like Christ is all I can tell you. Jesus fell asleep. Sometimes we fall asleep. How could Jesus sleep through this storm? He's rocking in the boat. He's got his head on a cushion. He's exhausted. The older I get, you put my head on a cushion, I'm going to fall asleep, okay? Have you ever fallen asleep in your small group meeting? <laughs> yeah, me neither. I don't know why I brought it up. But <laughs> Do you know anyone who can fall asleep anywhere, anytime? Now, some of you are looking at me all stone cold right now, and I've seen you fall asleep during one of my sermons, so don't... <laughs> Don't do this to me. This week, I had a rib out of place. 
And uh, you've maybe had that happen. It was getting worse and worse as the week went on. It got to the point where, man, I just couldn't, it hurt to breathe, hurt to drive. It just, I, it hurt to think. And so I went to the chiropractor and he put it back in place. And then he says, just lie there and you put some heat on it. And, uh, and, and I'm just feeling relief for the first time in, in a few days. And the next thing I know, I hear way off in the distance, Ryland, Ryland, are you okay? Ryland, Ryland, and I came to, he says, you, did you fall asleep on me? No, I was praying. What are you talking about? <laughs> 40 days of prayer. <laughs> Jesus fell asleep. He's sleeping through a storm. I don't know what he was doing. They call him the great shepherd. He was probably counting sheep. At least a sympathy laugh would do, thanks. He is a carpenter, he's probably sawing logs. That's all I got, I'm sorry. The dis- I tried to have three. The disciples woke him up. You ever been woken up out of a dead sleep, out of a deep sleep? How many know you can see some interesting things happen when you wake someone up out of a deep sleep? You get some interesting reactions. I remember when Landry, our three-year-old, when we converted his crib into a bed, and now he's free to get up and out anytime he wants. And one morning, I'm asleep, I open up my eyes, and he is right there. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Buddy, how long have you been there? A long time, Dad. I said, don't do that. (laughs) Jesus wakes up right there, are 12, wet, angry, Panicky, confused, nauseated, troubled disciples. And they say to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Have you ever been there? Like, Lord, don't you care that this thing's going under? Don't you care that there's this trouble? Don't you, God, don't you care if I drown? And some of these guys are experienced fishermen. I mean, they've been out at sea a lot. They've seen a lot. This is an area that, I mean, there were storms in this area all the time. It's not like this is the first time they've been in the wind and the waves. Something about this one creates a panic, and they think they're going down. They're going under, and they thought they were drowning and dying. Why are they scared? Because they forgot Jesus said, we're going to the other side, and it's easy to doubt when you're getting wet, (laughs) what you heard when you were dry. (laughs) It's easy to doubt in the wind and the waves what your Savior spoke in the calm. And you doubt in the waves what, what you heard when everything was fine. We get a word on dry, solid ground, then life takes us into fluid moments because life isn't all dry, solid ground. And we begin to doubt what God gave us in the solid times. We forget to doubt that the truth that we have been given from Jesus Christ is rock solid. And even disciples do that. And you can go through things and you forget the solid things that you know. And storms can, they have a tendency to stop us. And if they can't stop us, uh, they bring doubt and mistrust into our mindset of where is God now? Don't you care if we drown? My life's taking on water. Where is God? But look at what Jesus does. It says that he got up. He rebuked the wind 
and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Let's go to the next one. It says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You're standing there with the, this sea completely calm now. It was just roaring, it's calm. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And the wind and the waves can speak so loudly. Our circumstances can speak so loudly right now. Our troubles can speak so loudly. The report can speak so loudly. Our circumstances are speaking loudly right now. But if you're taking notes, write this down. Don't let your circumstances speak louder than God's word. Don't let it happen. Because the good news is that Jesus is in the boat. And he settles everything down. He rebukes the wind and the raging waters. You're not drowning. You're not perishing. As a follower of Jesus, church, you've got to learn the difference between a storm and perishing. You're not perishing. This is a storm. God hasn't given up on you. This is a storm. Don't misplace your faith. Don't lose your faith. Don't misplace your confidence. There's more to your story. There's more to this. In fact, that's not the end of this encounter. Jesus didn't tell them they were going to the middle of the lake. He said, we're going to the other side. He, he's gonna cal he calms the wind and the waves. No, you're not going to drown in the middle. We got more to do. And you're not being led to the middle. God's going to bring you home. He's not going to abandon you in the middle. How many of us need to remember there is another side? There's another side. It goes on, says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Well, that's scary. I mean, how bizarre. This guy is powerful. Can you imagine this town? No one is able uh, to overpower this person. No one's able to subdue him. Uh, but there is one coming who could, the only one who could. This man was in great need here. And the truth of this encounter is not only about the storm and the lake and Jesus' power, even though there's tremendous peace there, it's very powerful. There's tremendous blessing there that Jesus would calm that storm. But the real purpose here is to take us to the other side. Because there's something on the other side. Friends, this is why we got to get to the other side. There's nothing out here in the water. This is just a test. This is a trial. This is to build our faith. There's something on the other side of this storm. It, really, there's someone. It's someone. There is someone on the other side of your storm. There's a man in need on the other side. 
And that man is an eternal person. He's gone through some things, a life tormented by darkness. What an, what an awful condition he's in. As much as God blesses us, there's always someone on the other side of your encounter. There is a soul, there's a person in need on the other side of your miracle. Friend, your breakthrough is not about you. Your miracle is not about you. You, The building of your faith isn't even only about you. On the shoreline of your breakthrough are people in need of hope. In verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. But then it kind of gets bizarre here. He shouted at the top of his voice, so it looks like he's, he's kneeling before Jesus, and maybe that is the man's choice, but something starts speaking for him. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me, which, of course, Jesus didn't come there to torture him. Jesus came to set him free. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And this man is so confused, and there's, I mean, is he speaking for himself, or is this the impure spirit speaking? There's just so much confusion happening here, and and two things just kind of built into one. He says, my name is Legion. The guy doesn't even know his name anymore. The impure spirit speaks and replies, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I mean, when you're confused, you don't even know who you are anymore. In the storm, I mean, he didn't even know what he was doing. The demons seemed to answer the question with legion. Legion was a Roman military unit of a thousand or more. So it it could speak to how many demons were inhabiting uh, this man. I mean, how heartbreaking for this man. You know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? A destitute man who runs around the tombs naked. He didn't want this. What, what's happened here? And let's just, let's just talk about demons here for a moment as it's in the text. Uh, it, it's believed that demons are the spirits, the angels that fell with Satan when Satan fell from heaven. And a demon is an... <laughs> is a spiritual being, an evil spiritual being. And for some reason, they like to indwell mankind. They like to control human beings. And they seek to manifest their nature, their evil nature, through human beings. And people can become possessed by demons. And you read through uh, the scriptures of what that looks like and the gospels of what that looks like. You read through history of what that looks like. It often looks like this. I mean, there's an infatuation with death. Um, There's often nudity involved in some way. There's just lots of parallels that indicate uh, that that's happening. There's great, great confusion over identity and who they are. And and you even wonder who's who's even speaking right now. Uh, But people become possessed by demons really only after they've made a life habit of being controlled by themselves. Selfishness, being controlled by myself, can lead to deeper and deeper and deeper evils in my life. Now, a demon cannot be possessed by a true, cannot possess a true believer. I mean, how could the Holy Spirit and a demonic spirit 
inhabit the same life and the same heart. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. And so, but people will get goofy about demons. Believers will get goofy about demons like there's a demon behind every corner or um, in every conflict or in every person they don't like or in every appliance. Uh, not everything... <laughs> Not everything is demons, okay? People, people are possessed by demons when they open themselves up to deep evil in their life. You don't become possessed by accident. Now, a, a, a believer uh, can be uh, troubled uh, by demons. I mean, the, the Satan is at work tempting us, trying to harm us, trying to get us off course, but you don't, that doesn't happen by accident. And so I would just encourage you especially just even the timing over the next couple of weeks of how this, how this has come up in this message, to not participate in the things of the enemy. Do not willingly open yourself up from, for something from the devil, for something, from something demonic. This is why scripture is clear. There are verses that are just so clear that say, stay away from witchcraft. Have nothing to do with it. Don't watch it, don't laugh at it, don't participate in it, don't get close to it. Stay away from mediums. Have nothing to do with them. And I even thought of just coming up with a list of all this junk of just the, the cards and the fortunes and the boards and just everything else. Honestly, I didn't even know where, I don't even know what it is because <laughs> I just stay so far from it. And, but let's remember something else. People are possessed by other things other than demons that are just as evil. We can be possessed by money. We can be possessed by alcohol. We can be possessed by drugs. We can be possessed by greed, by, by horribly destructive habits. Anything that will keep you uh, from what God wants for your life, where God's trying to take you in your life. But praise God that the Lord Jesus has power over these things. The Lord Jesus has power over demons. I, I think that is a great lesson for us to learn in this passage through the gospel. The gospel of Mark is a beautiful expression of this. As over and over again, no one could do anything about this. Jesus shows up and he could do something that no one else could do. Jesus is making a way where no other one could make a way. So there's really no reason for any believer uh, to be afraid of demons or to adopt some superstition or spooky notion concerning them. If, you're, if you feel that you're bothered with them, just ask the Lord Jesus to deliver you. Uh, that's what this man did. He gave Jesus command. He gave Jesus praise. He gave Jesus credit. They, they have been cast out in Jesus' name. And really, it's a lack of faith in the Lord Jesus to walk in fear of them today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and do not fear. The Lord has control. Let us move on uh, in this encounter. In verse 11, it says a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Uh, the, so 
the demons preferred the swine to the abyss. So they wanted to stay in the area because they were productive in the area. I don't know, but Jesus could have sent them anywhere. Jesus could have cast them into the abyss. And they begged and begged and begged, no, we'd rather have the swine than that. And Jesus is actually criticized by some for letting all these pigs die. Uh, I mean, you can look it up. Liberal theologians criticize Jesus for letting all these pigs die. Jesus' followers seem much more interested in that the man was saved. And that's what we see here. That this man was set free, but the town even is frustrated that he let all these pigs die. This was a big economic loss. And I don't even know, I don't know much about pigs, but I'm just trying to imagine what 2,000 pigs would look like. Like, does that even, do they even fit in the worship center? Is it bigger than that? I just picture these farms and, and, and these, you know, warehouses that you see and just how much of their economy was wrapped up in this. And it says that those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they didn't see the miracle. They didn't see the power. They didn't see the wonderful nature of this. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. In almost every instance where Jesus healed people, it would create a crowd. It, people would flock to him. The difference was the pigs. They were afraid because it had, it had cost them something for this man's life to change. They'd rather him be crazy, uncontrollable, running around naked in the tombs than to lose out on the money and the economy that these pigs held for them. They were afraid because it cost them something for a man's life to change. They were raising pigs. They saw having this guy here, Jesus, is going to cost us something. Fear does amazing things to us. And instead of seeing a guy in his right mind, they saw drowned pigs. Instead of seeing the Son of God, they saw drowned pigs. They chased the answer to all of their questions, the answer to all of their problems away, out of town, because of fear. I'm sure they justified it with, well, just, just think how bad it would have gotten, they'd say, if Jesus would have stayed. And that, I mean, I can't pass judgment on them. There's times in my life where God wants to do something wonderful. And I'm sure you can relate that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the next step. I'm afraid of letting go. I'm afraid the new thing. Afraid that he's not going to be there. Afraid that I'm going to drown in it. Afraid that it's going to cost more than I wanted to pay. And we end up missing out on the wonderful things God can do. And I pray that this encounter is a reminder of the things that we hold on to and how insignificant they are. You know, as powerful as it is to see encounters 
where lives were changed and people followed Jesus, it's powerful to see him rejected. And why? And what that might look like in our life. But there was one person who got it that day. And his story ends differently than, than the town. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, so this, this ten-city region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. He was healed of his confusion, of his demon possession. Of course he wanted to be with Jesus. Who wouldn't? Jesus had something else for him. The area had rejected Jesus himself. Jesus says, no, you've got to stay and tell them what I've done. They've rejected me. The story has to continue, though. You've got to go out and share the story of grace and this encounter and freedom. When Jesus said to get into the boat, when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, they didn't know there was someone on the other side. There are people who need to hear your storm stories. And that's why we've got to keep going. That's why we've got to keep building our faith. That's why we've got to keep trusting because there's someone on the other side. The shoreline of life is lined up with people who are looking for hope. And who is the least likely person to give it to? Who is the least likely person in this town, in this community to share the hope of Jesus Christ? Anyone would have said it's this guy. You'd look at him and say, this man? When it was actually the town who seemed to be in their right mind, the town ends up being controlled by fear. The man is set free by Christ. The town chased Jesus away. All the, the normal people chased Jesus away. All the people in their right mind chased Jesus away. No, we're too smart for this. Don't affect our economy. Don't affect our life. The man wanted Jesus in his life. Here's the lesson, I believe, is that peace isn't the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Storms are going to happen. Peace is the presence of God. Circumstances are going to happen. Peace is the presence of God. Fear is going to happen. Peace is the presence of God. Would you pray with me? Well, there's a reason we're here. We're here to have an encounter with you, God, through worship, through prayer, through the word. Lord, I pray over the next few minutes, just right now, in the next few minutes, that you'd encounter someone who's in the middle of something right now. I just speak this over their life. If you're going through a storm, you will not be lost in the middle of it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up on your faith. You're not perishing. It's a storm. I'm praying for anyone who's in the middle of a storm, a trial, a test, a problem, drowning, sinking, drifting. You're not going to perish in the middle of it. There is another side. 
God is not giving up on you. Heaven is not lost on you. I pray for every person who says that's me. I pray for strength. I pray for an awareness of the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus makes all the difference. So God, we decide today to keep our eyes on you, to remember that you're in the boat, and if you're in the boat, I'll get to the other side. I'm not jumping overboard. In church, maybe you would just pray this prayer. Just quietly uh, repeat me right there in your seat. Say, dear Jesus, I surrender my life, my heart. I give you my storm, my trial, my test. I ask you right now to be with me, to guide me and lead me. I am yours, you are mine, and I dedicate my life to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.